Amen. We're uh, we got the same verses that we looked up uh, last week, but I think we'll look up just Second Timothy tonight and Second Timothy chapter two, and we're gonna we're gonna bounce around and look look up some verses. It's about uh, about ten after seven right now, so we'll go right down to seven thirty as we look at these uh, four principles tonight. And again, I mentioned this in last week's. Now here we get several weeks off after this because uh, next week we have a missionary with us. And uh, then uh, we have our monthly midweek missionary prayer meeting, and then it's a revival meeting after that. And so we won't have another lesson until the beginning of October. Um, so, but hopefully these will wet your whistles. And again, I, I really I don't make any apology for this, but I do understand that you know when you get into prophecy, or you want to know about the events and 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 what's this. And but you really, really, I think it's very, very important to lay the groundwork on how we interpret things because there's all like we're going to look at in the next uh next uh you know, key of interpretation, looking at comparing and contrasting different ways that people interpret revelation. Some people interpret it literally. Some people uh, interpret it allegorically. Some people believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Some people believe in the post-tribulation. You know, what is it that drives all that? And again, I realize that, you know, th these kind of lessons aren't all that exciting, but they're very, very formative, very important. I guess the, the illustration I could give is, you know, for a, a sports illustration is the second baseman's got to take ground balls. He's got to take ground balls. You know, he'd rather take batting practice or whatever, but he's just got to work on his simple fundamentals, handwork and all that. And really, that's what a lot of these first few lessons are going to be. They're just going to be very fundamental as far as the way we interpret the principles that we use. And again, I hope not to bore you to tears, really, because once we get into the prophecy, it really uh, starts to get pretty meaty. So 2 Timothy 2.15, look at it with me there, if you would. And it tells us, uh, it's important there, it says, study... To show thyself approved unto who? Unto God. You know, my, my study is, and although I do have to for the church, my study hopefully is not to impress you. Oh, wow, pastor knows so much about this. No, not at all. Our study is supposed to be unto God, and what, what comes out, Lord willing, in the pulpit is an overflow of that. But your study as well. That, that's not just for the pastor. That's for all of us. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if there is a more important aspect of theology as far as rightly dividing the word of truth, I don't know that there is a more important one than eschatology, of course, the study of last things. So uh, you have your intro there. In our last lesson, we introduced the study of theology known as eschatology or the study of last things. So when we, you hear somebody use the word eschatology, they're talking about the study of last things. However, to properly do so, we must lay the scriptural groundwork in hermeneutics. Boy, there's a word, amen. And by the way, it's right underneath there if you want to learn how to spell it, amen. It's one line down, amen. Hermeneutics, of course, any, anything has, in regards to hermeneutics is an interpretation. Interpretation. It's really what, it, for us, when it comes to biblical hermeneutics, it's how we interpret the Bible, okay? So, uh, which forms the basis of interpretation of prophecy. Hermeneutics is the study of interpretation. And it is something that 
though vitally important, many Christians take for granted when they read, study, and interpret the Word of God. Many Christians just, just take it for granted, hey, that we're doing that correctly, that from the pulpit this is being done correct. Many Christians just take it for granted. Amen? So there are many principles of biblical hermeneutics to be taught. And again, I, it's, I couldn't teach possibly all the principles. I took a whole semester course in Bible college called hermeneutics. And we went through every last one of those principles. Uh, important, very important. But we're going to look at today, Lord willing, four basic, four basic indisputable truths that must be accepted if one is to properly interpret prophecy. So let me just run through that again, the intro here, and then we'll get into our point. So in our last lesson, we introduced the study of theology known as eschatology, or the study of last things. However, to properly do so, we must lay the scriptural groundwork in hermeneutics, which forms the basis of interpretation of prophecy. Hermeneutics is the study of interpretation, and it is something that, though vitally important, many Christians take for granted when they read, study, and interpret the Word of God. There are many principles of biblical hermeneutics to be taught, but today we are going to focus on four indisputable truths which must be accepted if one is to properly interpret prophecy. So let's go over, if we could here, we're going to look at Psalm 115, verse 3, and then we're going to look at Daniel, uh, chapter 4, verse 35. So, Psalm 115, verse 3. And then Daniel, chapter 4, verse 35. The first point that we must accept, please don't get nervous, theologians. The first point we must accept is the sovereignty of God. So now everybody says sovereignty of God. Everybody, Calvinist, Calvinist, Calvinist. Okay, that Calvinists distort the sovereignty of God. Okay, but God is sovereign. So let's just look. You say, Pastor, I don't even know what that means. Well, good. Let's look up these verses and we'll figure out what it means. Amen. The sovereignty of God. Psalm 115, verse 3. Okay, it says this, but our God is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And all God's people said, God, God rules not by diplomacy, not by democracy. God rules by decree. He is God. He doesn't need permission. He's sovereign, okay? Now go over to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. And this is, of course, when, remember when he made Nebuchadnezzar into a, like a beast where he was on his all fours and uh, eating the grass of the field. because remember, remember why? Because Nebuchadnezzar said, Behold, great Babylon, which I have built. And he was proud. And here Nebuchadnezzar uh, is humbled by God, and he gives God the glory here. But he says this in verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to what? His will. Okay? By the way, don't read that and say, oh no, 
Trust me, his will is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen? He do it according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand and say unto him, What doest thou? So the sovereignty of God. This means that ultimately God is in control. And just as creator, he directed events at the beginning in an orderly manner. Did he not? Amen? By the way, that is the antithesis to what is taught as far as the Big Bang and evolution and all that. That the chaos produced order. It never has and it never will. Where God here as, as creator, as sovereign God... That he was in control and directed events at the beginning in an orderly manner as ruler, and that's what he is. He rules the universe. As ruler, we're talking about prophecy now, he is directing events to an intelligent fulfillment. So don't get, don't get your eyes crossed when you hear somebody say God is sovereign. He is. What, what, what that means is he's in control. And by the way, you ought to thank God Almighty that he's in control. That by him all things consist, Colossians 1.17 says. That's why, you know, forgive me, one planet can be going this way and another planet can be going this way and they can all be going around the sun on, and sitting out there in the middle of nothing. Every time I fly, I'm always amazed, Brother Stark, at the clouds. You know what that is? That's water hanging in the air. Shouldn't it be dropping? Yeah, it should. What holds it there? God Almighty. Amen. So, sovereignty of God. As ruler, he is directing all events to an intelligent fulfillment. In prophecy, this encompasses, we have A, B, D, C. So, now, now this is important, okay? Because this, you know, puts a, a, a halt on the Calvinistic argument in regards to the sovereignty of God, okay? So, there are, are four... Four things that here that are he has showed us that are encompassed within his sovereignty. And the first one is number one, human choice. Human choice. Go with me to John chapter five. Brother Boston and I were talking last night, and as we went down to Shalom, and the Bostons were members uh, at that church and knew knew Kayla uh, when she was just a little girl, and uh, we were just talking and. We're talking about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And how those two things, they're, they're, they, they're, they don't get along in theology, if you know theology. So there's people that say, well, man can't have a free will if God's sovereign. And God can't be sovereign if man has a free will. And, they go, and I, I was telling Brother Boston, an illustration that, that I believe the Lord gave me years ago, Mr. Anderson, was just simply this. The sovereignty of God and the free will of men are like train tracks. They never touch each other, and they're always going in the same direction. Always. Side by side. They don't destroy each other. They complement one another. And so if you look at John chapter 5, verse 40, it's a great verse, simple verse. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees here and and he says in verse 40, he said, And ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. The Calvinists will say, well, you can't come to God. But here Jesus says, you can, but you choose not to. 
That's important. Very important, okay? Go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And look at verse 17, please. So we're talking about the sovereignty of God, but there are some parts to that sovereignty that we see in the Scripture, okay? And John 7, 17 says, If any man will do his will. You know what that tells me? You have a choice. You have a choice. Okay? See, again, you know, you're talking about the hyper-Calvinist thinks that God's just the puppet master up there. He's the sovereign puppet master, and we're all just kind of robots doing what he wants us to do. Now listen, I think you ought to do the will of God, but I don't think God is a robot master. I think he wants his creatures to love him and serve him because they love him. Amen? So the sovereignty of God here, it, and we, in prophecy, it encompasses human choice. But also, go over to Philippians chapter 2. It encompasses something else here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Great verse. It also encompasses not only human choice. We, we have choices that we make. But it also encompasses divine influence. Divine influence. Okay? And it says there, it says, For it is God which worketh in you. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad God works in you? I, I remember, and again, I'll be sharing my testimony on Sunday when my hair was, was long, and, and nobody in the church chewed me out about having long hair. But it was quite obvious, Brother Steve, that God was working on the inside. And here's what I know. If God was working on the inside, it will break out on the outside. And so, listen, when you think about the sovereignty of God, yes, we do have choices, but God also has divine influence in our life. Okay? It is God which worketh in you. Okay? How about this one? We don't have a scripture on this one. But this is just basic. Again, I think you'll understand. Natural law. Natural law is part of God's sovereignty, meaning God put laws in place. We think of the law of gravity, the law of biogenesis. What's the law of biogenesis? That's life springs forth from life. You, you read it in, in Genesis chapter 1 where it said, whose seed is in itself. Who put the seed there? God Almighty did. Amen. And so that's part of his sovereignty. We see it. And by the way, isn't it amazing that, that uh, uh, pr prideful man is monkeying with that? Huh? Didn't we talk a little bit on Sunday? Listen, uh, 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 XX chromosomes will never be XY chromosomes. God's the one who made them. Amen? And so he puts, he puts natural law in regards to his sovereignty, divine influence, human choice. And then, I love this, Ephesians chapter 1. So you're in Philippians. Just go back a couple of pages. Ephesians chapter 2, rather. Not only divine influence, but... Supernatural doings. Supernatural doings. See, this, these are things in the Bible, you look at the, the miracles of the Bible that, that the skeptic and the liberal, they dismiss. But you and I look at it and say, that's part of the sovereignty of God. Part of the wonderful... Read verses 1 through 5 with me, Ephesians chapter 2. And this has to do with salvation in our life. Listen, salvation emanated from God. Hey, we still have to come to the point where we choose. 
But it, I'm telling you, the whole thing emanates from God. It says there, uh, and you hath he quickened, God did that, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom all we all had our conversation in times past, uh, the fulfilling of the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as a... You know, I've heard people through the years, you know, I was really searching for God. No, you weren't. You were wicked. You were wicked, and God sent somebody with the life-giving gospel. God sent a gospel track. God planted a church by where you live, whatever it is. But then it says this in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved. Never forget, your salvation doesn't begin with you receiving it. It begins with a loving God who provided it. Now, you still got to receive it. That's... We believe that, amen. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are ye saved. That's a supernatural doings. I'll tell you what, if there's a more supernatural doing than salvation, I don't know what it is. So, the sovereignty of God. You have to accept the fact when you're studying prophecy that God is ultimately in control. By the way, that'll relieve you of a lot of worry. Hmm? Okay, now I've got to get through these next three points in a minute and 30 seconds here. <laughs> uh, so, no, this, this one's, these are easy. You can look up these verses later. But number two, the omniscience of God. What is that? Simply put, this means God knows all things. When you hear somebody say the omniscience, you have to accept the fact that God knows all things if you're going to interpret prophecy correctly. And at those verses, it, it just tells us that he's God, he knoweth all things, okay? Number three, also, just each one of these, you, you can't, these are like four uh, legs on a chair, you know? You don't want to break one off and try to sit down because you're just going to keep falling over. Number three, the accuracy of God's word. If you're going to properly interpret prophecy, you've got to believe that you can trust this book, there's a lot of people that can't possibly interpret prophecy correctly because they don't believe you can trust this book. Well, I don't know. God can keep his word. God said he can keep his word. God can keep his word. So God's word, the basis of prophecy, is trustworthy. That's that next line there. God's word, the basis of prophecy, is trustworthy. All right, I want to look up these last two verses here. So go to Hebrews chapter 1, and then we'll look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 2. And so, number one, the sovereignty of God. We have to accept that God is in control. He uses human choice, divine influence, natural law, supernatural doings. But then we have the omniscience of God. Simply put, this means that God knows all things. Number three, the accuracy of God's word. God's word, the basis of prophecy is trustworthy. Number four, and pro again, just one of those, these four pillars, the understandability, I know that's a big word, understandability of God's prophecies. That means God just didn't write stuff to cross our eyes. He wants us to know that we can understand the prophecies of this book. So look at Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. 
Hebrews 1.1, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Why did he do that? Because he had a message to communicate to his people. Jonah. What was the message of Jonah to Nineveh? Repent. Repent. God is going to judge. You think God wanted Nineveh to know that? Yes. You think Jonah wanted Nineveh to know that? No. That's why he went the other way. He hated those Ninevites. But God wanted them to know. So he spoke through his prophets. Okay, look at uh, 2 Peter. So you got Hebrews there, James, 1 Peter, then 2 Peter. And he's talking here about uh, dealing with apostates in chapter 2. And he says there, chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Peter, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up, your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior, saying, knowing this first, that there shall come in the when? Last, Last days. Scoffers. And so what is he saying here? He's, well, the, again, this principle that we need to get and I understand, listen, I, boy, do I ever know it. If anybody knows it, there are some things in the Word of God that are tough. There are some things in the Word of God, Brother Hauser, where I could say, one guy says, you know, I see it this way, and another guy says, I see it this way. And I said, boy, you know what? He's right and he's right. They both can't be right. And then you say, you know what? You're also right. Amen. <laughs> you know, that, that it's that close where you're like, boy, I could see it both ways. There's times where it's like that. But that's not every prophecy. Some prophecies are just as plain as could be. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. That's as plain as you can get. A woman that's never known a man physically is going to be with child. And there are others, of course, the, the Lord's coming, and, and the, we talked about it last week. So again, those four principles, so important. The sovereignty of God the omniscience of God, the accuracy of God's word, and the understandability of God's prophecy. We've got to accept these four if we're going to properly interpret prophecy. Amen? All right. Let's take our hymn.